Keeping Up with Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure, is sponsored by SJL General Contractors. SJL General Contractors is licensed in both Alabama and Tennessee. This family-owned business provides mass grading, storm drainage, sewer and concrete improvement, asphalt paving, erosion control, demolition, and heavy hauling. If you're in need of any of these services, you can contact them at 931 933-4660. That is 931-433-4660. If you'd like to be employed by this family-owned company, three W's and a dot, sjnl.com, www.sjnl.com. What's more effective? A well-trained person with no equipment or a well-equipped person with no training. Well, in certain cases, I'd have to say that a person with proper training can get by with minimal equipment. But ideally, you'd like to have both. Lads to Leaders. Now, Lads to Leaders is known as a program, but I'd like to describe it as a process. You see, the name is the process. You take lads, young people, and you mature them into leaders. The process of lads becoming leaders is about both equipment and training. Young people are equipped with values, they are equipped with philosophy, and they are equipped with special skills. Lads to Leaders is not just learning to do, but in reality it's doing to learn. And as people participate in the Lads to Leaders program, they become well-trained and well-equipped to be the future leaders. And church leaders or community leaders, it, it produces leadership qualities in young people. The Lads to Leaders program is the legacy of Dr. Jack Zorn, who invented the program. If you're interested in participating in Lads to Leaders, ladstoleaders.com. If you're interested in learning more about it, you can contact Rhonda Fernandez, 321 321- Two zero two seven six zero zero three two one two zero two seven six zero zero lads to leaders dot com producing leaders in the church in the future in the young people of today. Nilo Intendes es morte. Now, that's probably not right. It's probably not correct. It's the one phrase in Spanish that I know. I was learning some Spanish. I had the Rosetta Stone, and we were going to go on a mission trip in Honduras, and, and I wanted to, to be able to, to do some language-to-language stuff, but language is not my gift, and as you can tell by that butchered phrase, I, I, what I did learn to say was, don't think about it, it's death. Because if I was down there by myself and, and was escorting a group of young teenagers through hostile environments, I wanted to be able to look at anybody who wanted to mess with our girls and intimidate them. The, the only time I got to use the phrase was when I was riding in the back of a flatbed truck and a large German shepherd bolted out of a fence between two small buildings and climbed into the back of the truck with me. And he did not understand my phrase. He was a German shepherd and did not speak any English whatsoever. As an example of my bad um, Spanish, I went running one morning. And as I ran through these little villages high up in the mountains there, uh, I was greeting the people, which in my mind, I was saying good morning. 
Buenos Dias, maybe. But in my southern accent, it comes out as Buenos Dias, which sounds like I'm running through the village and not yelling good morning, but screaming good God at people. <laughs> they took us to the hospital to do some some work, and I do some minor magic tricks. So I had a, a clown wig on and a rubber nose and walked into the uh, lobby of this large uh, hospital in Tegucigalpa and, and yelled what I thought was good morning, but what I actually screamed was good God in Spanish. And so, yes, Lonnie the blasphemous gringo clown is how they know me down there. <laughs> As part of our, our group, and, and we built houses for people in the jungle. We delivered food. Uh, Lonnie Beth and I painted a mural in a uh, children's daycare. Uh, we did some work in an orphanage. Uh, we did the visits at the hospital. And, and on a Sunday afternoon, we got to be the special guest of a group of guys, and their title is Commando de Operaciones Especiales, also known as the Special Operations Command or the Cobras. These guys are the personal bodyguards of the Primera Donna. They're a counterinsurgency uh, kind of group, and they're basically a paramilitary-style police unit similar to an American SWAT team. Now, lots of guns in Honduras. We, we had guys pass us on motorcycles with, you know, AKs on their back. Uh, you go down the mall, and there's a guy standing out in the, in, in the main walkway of the mall with a shotgun or a pistol. Now, now, most of these guys, you know, they have these leather holsters, and they have these straps like a purse, and they're wearing them across their shoulders, and they're basically wearing a pistol purse. Lonnie Beth looked at me and said, Dad, if trouble breaks out here, there's nobody here I can't disarm, which I was proud for my daughter to talk that way. But you run into the Cobras, and that's a little different deal. These guys wear the uh, urban camouflage, the black, white, and gray pattern fatigues with the fatigue jackets, the, the, the battle blouses, and then their boots are spit-shined and they're bloused, and they wear these berets. And they're tough, they're young, they're sh in shape, they're, they're fit. And we got to be their guests. They invited us to their compound, and their young operators were going to play soccer against the younger guys in, in the mission group who were good at soccer. Well, I'm sitting here watching the festivities and looking around this compound that we're in. I see this big tower with their Cobra logo on it. And so I start trying to ask some questions, and then I'm smart enough to use a translator to ask some questions, but it, it turned out they had a rappel tower. Well, of course, I'm going to try to finagle my way to, to get to take a trip down their tower. So I start asking about what kind of equipment they used and things get lost in translation. And the next thing I know, there's a guy standing there in the urban camouflage and he's a middle-aged gentleman and he's got a handlebar mustache and he's got the dark skin and the beret and it's the colonel. It's the guy in charge of these dudes. And so he starts leading me and the translator away from the rest of the group, and a couple of guys fall in with him, and, and we're trying to talk, and, and he's talking fast, and I don't understand any Spanish, and he doesn't understand any English. And finally, the little translator said he's throwing out random numbers. I said, what do you mean random numbers? And he said, like, uh, 556 and 762 and 223. I said, he's talking about gun calibers. And so we began to talk about weapons. Turns out that he carries and had it on his side in a drop leg holster, just like I have, a 9mm Beretta 92F with a satin finish. 
it's the gun I shoot when I was on the range with the SWAT guys. Now, that had been years ago. Uh, SWAT carries Glocks now, and they went. Huntsville PD had a Smith M&P for a while. But in the old days, everybody carried a, a Beretta. And so I had that gun, I was very familiar with it. So we got to talking about that and uh, found out that I shoot more ammunition in one day on the range than those guys shoot in six months down there. We have no idea how blessed we are in this country. That as a civilian volunteer, I can go to a, as a guest on a police range and shoot more ammo than the elite commando unit in a foreign country. We're walking and talking, and I'm looking at the compound and the different things. And the young man says, okay, now he's, he's talking about entrances. He's, I don't see a fence. I don't see a door. I don't see a barn. I don't know what entrance he's talking about. And then it hit me. I said, he's talking about entries. Tell him that, that I know something about building entries. And so he conveys, are we talking about entering buildings? And the old colonel smiles. And, and then he, he asks about the formations that we use. And, and you can walk in an, in an echelon formation, or you can walk in a, a, a spear, or you can walk in a diamond. And these guys' approach to most things that they hit was a diamond formation. And, and we talked about that. Well, we end up walking over this little hill, and there's this low maze made out of adobe bricks. These guys had hand-baked and hand-assembled this maze that they used as a clearing house or a shooting house. Now, it wasn't a live round shooting house. They would just, you know, make entries like you, like we practice in our clearing house. And, and so I'm standing out here with this old colonel, and, and he's on one side of the door, and I'm on the other side of the door, and I lock eyes with him, and I laid my left wrist over my right wrist, which is a crossing entry. He smiled beneath that big handlebar mustache and nodded his head. I held up three fingers and pointed to myself and then one finger, which means on three, and I'll go first. We locked eyes again. We bounced at the hips, one, two, and three, and then I entered and went right, and he entered and went left. And we came back out, and we did a partial. We did a same side entry. Uh, we did a double-sided entry. I don't speak a word of Spanish. He didn't speak a word of English. But we found a common language that we spoke. We found something that instead of looking at all the differences that we had, we found the one thing that made us similar. And we developed a friendship over it. I left him with one of our SWAT t-shirts a gray t-shirt with the round symbol and then our unit symbol on the back. And there's a picture somewhere floating around on Facebook of me giving that to him. And we're friends. We'd be friends to this day. If I got to go back to Honduras and could, could see this old gentleman again, he might not remember my name, but he would remember what we shared doing those mock entries in front of that. And I'm not even a real cop. I don't have a, a badge. I'm not a shooter. I'm not an operator. But I knew enough of the common language of building entries because I've watched our guys train at them so much that it was a language we both spoke. Marriott called. Now, they didn't call me, but, but Marriott had taken over the physical plant management for a large school in Atlanta. Their corporate headquarters, their corporate head honchos, decided that all the new old employees should be integrated into their new systems, and they were going to use a six-month training phase. 
And to start their training phase, they wanted all the employees to participate in a team-building seminar. Dr. Charlie with Marriott and the Atlanta Public School System called Mike King. And Mike King called me and a couple other guys. And so here we are, the, the staff, the ropes course staff for Barry College's Barry Outdoor Leadership Development Program, the BOLD program. We end up in Atlanta in this large gymnasium with all these guys. And then probably in total, there's, there's a group approaching of about 40 different people. And you have custodians and plumbers and electricians and maintenance guys, plus the folks from Atlanta Public Schools and the folks from Marriott, and then our people. There was a little bit of resistance in the air. There's a little bit of an undercurrent of this may have been a hostile takeover, and we don't like the new bosses, and we don't like the new plan. And, and so as we walked into the room, you could tell that the walls were up. Now, by this time in my career, I'd done professional programming for corporate groups, for schools, for ball teams, for families, for college groups, and even for teens and mission groups. But this group was going to be different. This group was different than any of them. And so, so the first activity called for everyone to get a partner. Well, it turns out that the, the group was not evenly numbered and there was an odd man out situation. So I filled in the gap. I approached this gentleman and said, I'm one of the instructors. I'm going to be your partner. This man's name was Frank. So Frank and I are now partners. And then Mike King announced each team, each group of partners, each team has three minutes to find out who has the most things in common. And that's when I knew we might be in trouble. Frank was 52. I was not yet 35. I'm Caucasian. Frank is not. I'm college educated. Frank is not. I was wearing, for me, a button-down shirt and dressy blue jeans, and Frank was in a blue uniform, and his aged work boots contrasted slightly with the Rockport shoes I was wearing. I sat with an erect posture, my back straight, and when I do tough physical work, I usually call it exercise. Frank sat slumped shoulders, elbows on his knees, with weathered, calloused black hands clasped together. And when he leaves work, he's too tired to exercise. This is going to be a long three minutes. The team that ended up winning had 48 things in common. Yes, <laughs> in, in, in three minutes, these two individuals found 48 things that they, they had in common. Frank and I were awarded a t-shirt for winning this contest. Yeah. A weary African-American janitor and a Harding-educated youth and family minister found 48 things that we had in common. One guy in the crowd yelled out, Make it 49 because you're both lying. <laughs> the group laughed because Frank and I could not have been more different. But they asked us for some accountability, so they were shocked to know that I had once been a janitor in the Bible building at Harding University, and everything that Frank did for a living, I had done in my early 20s and late teens. We liked the same kind of food. We talked about loving our wives, loving our kids, and loving our country. We both liked to fish, walk in the woods, and look at nature. We both have debts. We both have bills. We both have birthdays and anniversaries. 
Frank wants to be a good dad and a good husband. And, and, and so do I. Could we come up with 48 differences? Yeah, probably so. But instead of looking for our differences, we walked into that exercise intentionally looking for what we shared in common. It's interesting that in that same exercise, what we did, we, we got all the guys together, and Mike brought out this very large, colorful beach ball. And he said, your job here is to just keep this ball from hitting the ground. You must work together, all 38 or 39 of you must work and keep this ball in the air. It can't touch the ground. By the way, the Czechoslovakians got 125 bounces, and they began to work with each other. They began to cheer for each other. There were heroic saves and dives into the bleachers as they competed against the mythical Czechoslovakian team from 79. And as they were bouncing the ball and the enthusiasm, and these guys were working up a sweat trying to keep this ball in the air, we walked from one side of the gym to the other and, and simply stretched a piece of cotton kite string. Now, we didn't stretch it enough that you couldn't go under it. It was, it was above their heads. But as soon as we divided that room with a piece of cotton string, they forgot about the legend of the Czechoslovakians, and they began to try to make the ball hit the ground on the other side. They began to compete. Because you see, when you divide people with anything... Something as insubstantial as a piece of cotton kite string. When you divide people, they will compete. Now, if, if you tell us this is your job, and you guys can only use your feet, and you guys can only use your hands, and you guys can only use your heads, you can still keep the ball in the air because we're focusing on what we have in common, not what's different. But as soon as you divide us... And as soon as we make denominations to identify ourselves, I'm rich, I'm poor, I'm conservative, I'm liberal. I'm pro, I'm anti. I'm this and you're that. As soon as we start talking in those kind of terms, then, then we're not looking for commonalities. We're looking for differences. And once you divide us over those differences, we begin to compete and in the true sense of competition, iron sharpens iron, and we both get better if we can have dialogue that makes us grow. But in, in the sense of competition I'm talking about, it becomes a zero-sum game. It's not about me trying to understand you, but it's about me forcing you to understand me and see my worldview. And competition means that I'm right and you're wrong, and I win and you lose and instead of finding that common ground, instead of looking for the things that we share, we, we will divide and compete and fight and war over the thing that, that divides us. And we're really not all that different. Now, I, I guess in, in, in an extreme, extreme, extreme case, there is going to be a, a differentiation between good versus evil. And you can't have fellowship with light and dark. You can't have the demonic and, and the godly together. But we've demonized people and call them evil when in truth they're just victims of evil. And, and, and that mirror works both ways. If, if I have this, 
high moral ground, and I'm defending and fighting that moral ground from pharisaical perspective or from some form of eliteness or some form of being judgmental, and I'm doing it out of selfish ambition, then I'm just as much a victim of evil as somebody who would abandon what I would consider the moral code. But see, once we start giving that label, once we start looking at, hey, what makes us different? And then we compete and we divide. We must understand that the common enemy is evil. You see, the the mission, I believe, of, of what is described as the cross, the cross is a plus sign. It brings God and people together and people and people together. And if we're using the cross as a battle cry to attack other people, then we've misunderstood it, or or at least they misunderstand us, or we misunderstood them. What are you looking for? When you walk into a room of people, when you enter into a discussion on Facebook, or you decide that the world can't live without your tweet, are you trying to prove that you're right and they're wrong? Or are you trying to have a dialogue? Are you trying to find out what we have in common, or are we just going to magnify those few things that make us different? We regularly get to hear an inclusion presentation when we teach our crisis intervention program. Now, Kenny Anderson uh, makes that presentation for us, and Kenny makes a couple of good points. One is that we share about 90 plus percent of the exact same DNA. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't, doesn't matter where you're from, what your culture is, what your race is, what your ethics are, doesn't matter what your religious background is, you share the same DNA as as, as, as I do, and, and every human on the planet shares 90% plus of exactly the same DNA. There's not a whit of difference between any of us. And if I left here this afternoon, quoting Kenny Anderson again, if I, if I left here this afternoon and got in a car wreck and I needed blood, I needed somebody to give me three or four pints of blood, I don't care where it comes from. I don't care if he's black, white, green, purple. I don't care if he's liberal, conservative, rich, poor. I don't care if he believes in legalizing marijuana or if I needed blood and it would match my own negative. I don't care where it comes from. Because you see underneath underneath the titles and underneath our cultures and underneath our race and underneath our politics and underneath all those things, we have one vast thing in common. I believe we are all created in exactly the same image. And blood unites us because the blood of the Son of God was sacrificed for all of us. TKM Incorporated is a supporter of Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones Podcast Adventure. 
They're located in Moss, Tennessee, and they specialize in erosion control, silt fence, seeding, sod, hydro seeding, hydro mulch, minor excavation work, and traffic control and construction signs. If you need any of their services, please call them at 931-243-3958. That is 931-243-3958. Or you can email them at tkminc2001 at twlakes.net. That is tkminc2001 at twlakes.net. TKM stands for the King's Men. And with their traffic control and construction signs, one of their primary missions is keeping people safe. But because they are the king's men, they're wishing that everyone could be saved. Mm-hmm.